night. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to What Would Kay Say? I am your host, Kay Edwards. How are God's blessed and highly favored people doing today? I hope that you all had a wonderful week. And just to get some housekeeping out of the way, the month of June is quickly upon us. And it's also Men's Health Month. So all you men out there, age 45 and older, without insurance, State of New York is offering free colorectal cancer screenings for those who qualify. So contact them at 718-250-8708. It's a killer. It's silent. 
A lot of men don't know they have it because they don't get checked. Do yourself a favor. If you want to be around for a little while, give this number a call, 718-250-8708. And for all you women out there who have men who you know or know of men who should be getting this screening, give them the number. Make the call yourself and take them to the appointment. Just make sure they get themselves checked out. So now, as we move into this show, we are moving along through the minor prophets, right? And with all the minor prophets that we've touched upon thus far, they've all been given messages from God to give to the people. God would send them a message, give them a message, tell them to go someplace, say this to the people, and this is what I want them to know. But, but, today, we're going to move through or visit one of the books of a minor prophet. His name is Habakkuk. And he was different. He wasn't a prophet that was taking a message to the people. He was actually a prophet that took a message to God. And the message that he took, it wasn't like the people said, oh, Habakkuk, go give this message to God. No, it was something he was feeling within his own spirit. Like some of us, we question some of the things that the Lord does. So Habakkuk was the prophet who needed to know why God would allow his people to experience pain. And he was also asking the Lord, where are you in all this turmoil? Why are you not answering me? Doesn't that sound familiar? Well, let's take a look at Habakkuk chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And this was the prophet's question. Oh, Lord. Actually, we're starting with verse 2. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Now, in that verse, in those verses, we see the prophet crying out to God, questioning his presence in the time of need. Where are you, God? How many of us have been in that same situation, crying out to God, wondering, where are you, God? Don't you see what's happening to me? Don't you see what they're doing? How could you just let this happen to me? But if we really know the living God, 
we know that he is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He's omnipotent. Having all power over all things at all time. And he's omniscious. The Lord is all-knowing at all time. So if we are truly believing that all those names that we call him to be true, why do we ask God, where are you? Is it because at times when we're feeling the sting of troubles in our life, it feels as though he couldn't possibly be anywhere near where we are? Because if he was, why would he allow this to happen? Why would he allow all this to take place? But here's what the Lord has to say to Habakkuk when he answers him. We jump down to verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Now here it was. That's not the answer that Habakkuk was really looking for, right? He was expecting God to say, oh, don't worry. I'm there for you. I'm going to do this and everything is going to be fine. Because usually when we're crying out to God, that's what we want him to say. Oh, don't worry. That bill is going to be paid. You're going to get overtime that you didn't even realize they didn't pay you for. It's going to be in your check. Oh, don't worry, that child of yours that's given you such a headache, I've spoken to his spirit and he's now going to obey every word that comes out of your mouth. Oh, don't worry, that spouse of yours that's giving you a headache that you can't understand why you keep arguing over the same things over and over and over, they're going to finally see the value in you and appreciate you with all their heart. No, that's not what God tells us. And no, that's not what he told Habakkuk when he was crying out to him. Do you see the violence that's going on here? What God tells him is, this is what I'm going to do because of what you just asked me. Just watch. You're going to be astounded. Even though I'm telling you what I'm going to do, you're still not even going to believe what I'm going to do. And God says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And that was just another name for the Babylonians. You think Habakkuk wanted to hear that? The Babylonians, their arch enemies, the people that they know tread over people like they're nothing. The Lord tells Habakkuk that he's going to allow the Chaldeans to rise up against the people of Israel because of their wickedness towards him. That is not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. So this is what he replies. We've jumped down to verse 12. 
Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours? Okay, Habakkuk is like, oh, this can't be. I cannot be hearing what I think I'm hearing. Lord, you can't possibly be saying that you're going to raise up the Babylonians against us. Habakkuk cannot believe that God, being as holy as he is, would allow the, like I said, the Babylonians who were the worst nation in every way to bring judgment upon his people. But God was, in fact, doing just that. He was raising up the Chaldeans to use them to punish Israel. And when you think about it, we heard this story in Micah, right? Micah was told the same thing. God was using the Assyrians against the Israelites. He was taking their enemies, allowing their enemies to punish them because he wanted to get their attention to how they weren't worshiping him the way they were supposed to. They were following and chasing after idols and other gods. So how God got their attention was to let their enemies attack them. And that's the same thing he's telling Habakkuk here. But Habakkuk explains that the Chaldeans sweep nations like fish caught up in a fishing net. How could you allow that to happen? How could you allow that to happen to us, Lord? So as we jump to verse 15, this is what Habakkuk says to to God after God gave him that, that answer. They took up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and they gather them in their dragnet. This is what he's saying the Babylonians do to people. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them, their share is scrumptious and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? So what he's saying is he's describing what it feels like when the Babylonians go into a territory and take it over. He's saying how when they come through nations, it's like has... I don't know if you've ever seen, or you might have seen, and some people probably had people in their family that caught fish like this. They have giant nets. They have these giant nets that they put into the sea, and they lower the nets, and they allow all the fish, you know, the schools of fish to swim over the nets. And at a certain time, 
they lift the nets. And when they lift the nets, all the fish are caught in the nets and there's no way for them to escape. They can't get out the nets. All the fish are caught. This is the, and back in those days, that's the way they fished. They, or they had hooks. They did have hooks, but for the most part, when they wanted to do a mass fishing, they would lay the nets over the sea. This is what Habakkuk is saying to God. The Babylonians, they swallow nations like the way we fish with nets. They just go in and they just capture everything and nothing can get away from them. And they're just so happy, you know, because when a fisherman catches a big bounty of fish, he's happy because he knows he's, oh, wow, this is the best catch I've had. I'm getting paid. Everyone's going to eat. This is the way the Babylonians felt when they were sweeping through nations of people. Like, oh, look at these people we've just taken over. We're just going to plummet them, take their spoils, just do whatever we want. Habakkuk is reminding God as if God doesn't know what they do. He's very much aware of what they do because he told them, I'm going to raise up this vile nation. God knew that they were vile. God knew that they were dangerous. He knew, but he wanted to raise them up anyway because he wanted to get the Israelites' attention. And what better way to get your attention than to use your enemy against you? Think about it. If God says some, if God is trying to get your attention, but you're not paying him any attention or you're giving him, eh, yeah, God, I'll get back to you. Where does, who and where does he cause the most turmoil in your life? In your home. He'll use your own family members to stir up confusion to get your attention. So here we see, after saying all that to God, Habakkuk says that he's going to wait for God to answer him. Why are you letting these fools, these vile people trample all over us? And he says, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait. So we pick this up in chapter two, verse two. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. And watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. The just live by faith. So Habakkuk's like, I'm asking God these questions. How could he let them just sweep us up like we're fishing a net and I'm going to wait here for him to answer me? That's pretty bold, right? Don't you think that's kind of bold of him to say, look, God, you des- I deserve an answer from you and I'm going to stand here and wait. Until you give it to me. But God, being the God that he is, he knows when his children are over the top. He knows when his children don't quite really get it. And he's patient with us. How many times have we cried or how many times have you've cried to God in a, what, you know what, what is really going on? Okay, could you just answer me now? Like, really? I've been waiting all this time for you to give me an answer. And God doesn't look at you like, who do you think you're talking to? Sometimes he'll let you rant and rave until you tire yourself out. 
Or sometimes he'll say, okay, my child, I'll give you an answer. And this is what he does with Habakkuk. The Lord answered him. And he says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So as Habakkuk waits to hear once again from the Lord, the Lord does reply to Habakkuk that he might want to get a pen and paper and write this down, or let's say a chisel and a stone, and write down what's going to happen, because it's going to happen. And when you write something down, it will prove to everyone that I mean what I say and I say what I mean. God reminds Habakkuk that the righteous live by faith. So he's telling him, listen, I'm God. I know what I'm going to do. Just trust me. I'm in control of this situation. Get that tablet. Write down what I told you was going to happen because I already told you it was going to happen. It's not like God says, oh, you're absolutely right, Habakkuk. You know, the Babylonians, they're horrible, horrible people. Why would I do that? Let me, let me rethink this plan of mine and see if I could come up with a better solution to get the attention of the Israelites. No, that's not what God tells Habakkuk. He tells him, write this down, what I just told you. And he doesn't even repeat. And see, this, <laughs> this is the sweetness of God, okay? This is just how sweet he is. Even when he's given it to you, he gives it to you in such a loving manner. Because it's not like he says it again. It's not like as if he repeats what he's going to do. He tells Habakkuk, write down what I told you. Because although it may seem like it's not coming, oh, it's coming. And those who read it, they're going to run. Because what I just told you is for an appointed time. Yes, I want you to write it down because time may pass and it seems like it's not going to happen. But if you write it down, the people will. So when it happens, the people will be like, oh. He told us this was going to happen to us. So see, God always, always makes it where when I tell you something, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You cannot say you did not know. And he tells him, it looks like it's going to tarry, but wait for it because it's coming. Because I know what I'm doing and it's not going to be long. It's coming. And when it comes, I want everyone to remember that I told you it was coming. So write it down. But he also reminds him 
that the just live by faith. Right? And he tells him that even though I'm using the Chaldeans to punish the children of Israel, the Chaldeans are going to be punished as well. God always lets everyone know. Yeah, I might be using you, but you're not escaping. Don't think because I'm using you at this moment that you've escaped wrath that's supposed to be put on you as well. God states that he's going to raise up a nation against the Israelites for what they've been doing towards him, but that the nation that he's using is also going to be punished. And how many of you, this is what I want you to think about, how many of you can God use to be a thorn in someone else's side? Think about it. We never look at it as we're a thorn on someone else's side. We only look at the thorns that come on us, right? We only look at the people that give us pressure. We only look at the people that give us headache and strife and grief and confusion. But how many of us does God use to put those same things on other people? He's trying to get the attention of one person and he uses you to do it. But in the same breath, as he's using you to be that pressure, he also has some things in you that he needs to change that you might not be aware of. Well, you might be aware of it. But because he's using you against that person doesn't mean that you escape what he sees in you that he needs to change as well. So here it is. And and when I say uses an enemy or when I say God uses you as to be the pressure on someone else, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're as bad as the Chaldeans. You weren't scooping up people and just slaying them for no. No, everybody thinks that when God wants to get your attention or wants to chastise you for some wrongdoing, that it has to be extreme with God Everything is extreme. We're the only ones that put measurements on what's 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 sin and what's not sin and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. To God, everything is sin. Like I said last week, is holy where God is, and then there's everything else beneath it. So if it's not holy where God is, everything else beneath it falls into sin. Correct, right? And that's the reason why Jesus came in the first place, because he knew There was holy and everything else beneath it was sin. So he had to come to be like, "Mm, you know what? Let me go there for the everything else beneath it is sin. I have to go there to be the everything underneath it is sin so that these people, my people that I love, can now try to get up to holy, but they're going to get there through me. They can never get up to holy, but because I went there for them, I am their representation of what holy is. So when Jesus stands before the Lord, God only sees the good because Jesus is, he took everything that fell below the holy for us. Right? 
So think about it. How many of you can say that God used you to be pressure in someone else's life because he was trying to get your attention for something in your own life? And the fact that he knew that you would be this thorn anyway, right? Because the Chaldeans, they knew they would have thorn in the Israelite side. They knew they couldn't stand the Israelites. How many of you know, you, ugh, I, can't, I can't deal with that person. But God will use you to get that person's attention. And in the same breath, he's using you to get your own attention as well. God is amazing. And he will stop at nothing until his agenda has been completely fulfilled. Because in the end, he's going to get the glory. In the end, he's going to get the glory regardless of who he uses and how he uses them. So with that, we're going to take a music break. You've been listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn, what Brooklyn sounds like. Never the same, my life changed, never the same When you came, everything changed, everything changed Where I once was, who I once was, when I was lost Never the same, my life changed, never the same My King Yeshua, born in a manger to a virgin woman, the word was given, and he became man. Everywhere he went, signs and wonders that made the people wonder. What manner of man is this that can make the lame walk and the blind see? And he came, everything then changed. He gave me a new name. All the old things were passed away. With his blood, he washed away. All the guilt and the shame Now we stand and proclaim in Jesus' name Never the same, my life changed Never the same When you came, everything changed Everything changed Where I once was, who I once was When I was lost Never the same, my life changed Crown of thorns for me, your hands with pierce for me, your body bruised for me. You died that I might be. No other love like this to lay your life out of love for me. Lord, I love you so, so, so much. Now I live in victory. Your precious life you gave to me. You gave it freely. I didn't earn it. You qualified me. Now I am royalty, yeah, because you live inside of me. A new creation, you have made us just like Jesus. Never the same, my life changed, never the same. When you came, everything changed, everything changed. Where I once was, who I once was, when I was lost. Never the same, my life changed. One, two, three, four. 
everything will be alright. Just like Mary sat at his feet. Can't nobody take away my right. So I walk with a heart of faith. I refuse to live by sight. All the demons that had me chained. All of a sudden I put to flight. When I call on the name of my Savior Jesus Christ. Instantly I start to reign over my enemies left and right. Cause I know my God is great and he's already won the fight. So I won't be afraid of the terror that comes by night. I said I know that my God is great and he's already won the fight. So I
Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn. We had musical selections from, of course, we opened up our show with Making Changes by Grace. In the middle set, we had Never the Same by Marazu. And then we just ended off with One Thing by Victory. So now, before I go on, we're studying the the Minor Prophets. And we've gone through a couple of them. I did not know that I was going to stay on this pattern, on this path, doing the minor prophets. But it is something that has been essential to our learning of who God is, how he operates, and why he does what he does. Even if it doesn't give a total explanation, it gives us a clearer understanding of how God sees us and how we should see him and not see him the way we want to see him, but see him how he really is. So if you missed any of these shows in the Minor Prophets or any other messages that I've done, you can find them on my show page at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Go to What Would Kay Say? They're archived there. You can find them on Spotify, on Apple, and all other podcast platforms. Because it's very important that we know the God we serve. That's like people will say, I know you. People will say, oh, yeah, I know her. But do they really know you? Sometimes they know of you. Sometimes they may know surface you, but did they ever really take the time to know you? Because there's parts of you that you've shown them. Now, whether they want to accept it or not is a different story. And the same way we deal with people on that level, we'll say, oh, I know them. Like, you'll say, oh, I know my mother. I knew my mother. Did you really know your mother? Sometimes... Or I know my sister. Or I know my cousin. But did you really know them? And the only way you get to really know them is if you spent time in their presence to get to know them. Because the more time you spend with God, the more that you will get to know him. Not just the him that you've heard about or the little parts of him that he showed you, but you'll even get to see parts that maybe he hasn't revealed to you yet because you never took the time to know him. So through the Minor Prophets, we're learning about different attributes that God has. Like I said once before, everyone's, oh, God is love, God is mercy, God is graceful. Yes, he's all of those things. But God is also a God of justice. And if that means that you were doing something that he did not like, oh, best believe you were going to catch it. And he's telling Habakkuk right here. He's telling him in this book, he was telling Habakkuk, but he didn't see. And this is the difference in the book. Sometimes God doesn't always tell you. Sometimes he doesn't give you a warning. Sometimes he doesn't send people out to tell you 
you know, you need to stop. Sometimes he just doesn't. And if it weren't for Habakkuk coming to God and say, do you see all this chaos going on around us? Do you see how what's going on here? All the the, the chaos, just the mass, blatant, not even thinking about anything with the law. People are just breaking the law all the time. Do you see this, God? What are you going to do about it? God was like, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans and I'm going to have them handle it for me. That's what I'm going to do. But it's not, but you see, God had already used the other prophets before Habakkuk to give warning. He had give he had given how many warnings. So now he was like, I'm not sending any more. This is what I'm going to do. And if I were you, Habakkuk, I would write this down so that the people know. Because I'm not talking, I'm not saying it again. This is what's going to happen. It might not happen tomorrow. It might happen for a little while. But trust and believe. It's going to happen. So if I were you, I'd write it down. So those who didn't believe or those who want to act like they didn't know, they will have it written and they can read and be like, oh, he did say he was going to do this. So that's what we were talking about before we went into the break. God was planning to use an unholy nation of people known to be ruthless, known to be villains, to bring justice against his people. But when he was done with them, he would punish them as well because he knew they were wicked. So I want us to keep this in mind. Be careful how you think that you're inflicting judgment on someone who is unjust or not God-fearing. Because it could very well be a setup for what God is planning on his judgment when it comes to your life. So here we are at the end of chapter two and Habakkuk states, woe to all who amass nothing that belongs to them. So in the end of chapter two, Habakkuk is saying after he goes and pleads to God, God answers him what he's going to do. Then he pleads to God again, and he's saying how he's going to wait for an answer, and then that's when God tells him, look, write this down, because I'm not, you know, I already told you what I'm going to do. So here it is, Habakkuk is now, okay, he's already gotten the answer. God told me to write it down. So now he's standing there, and he's like thinking of everything, everything that, you know, what God is going to do, what his people have been doing, just the way the state of the world is around him at that moment. And Habakkuk says, woe to all who amass what is not theirs. You know, people who just steal, kill, and destroy. Woe to those who dishonestly make wealth for their own gain. So they're cheating the system so that they can get rich. They're cheating other people out of what is rightfully theirs so that they could acquire some type of wealth. Woe to him that builds a city with bloodshed. You know, how some people are just ruthless and they'll kill others to acquire what it is that they want to get from them. 
Woe to those willing to take advantage of people after getting them drunk with wine. And back in those days, you had a lot of which you have now when you have that date rape, that date rape pill. This is what he's referring to. They used to have people that would get people drunk and then take advantage of them sexually and then hold that over their head for whatever else they wanted to acquire that that person might have. Woe to those who carve wooden images and pray to them as though they're gods. And that is the number. God always said, I'll never have another one before me. So here they were practicing what God had already warned them not to do. They were living that way. The Israelites were living that way. So God was like, okay. You want to keep acting up? I got something for you. So Habakkuk closes the chapter with his assessment of the Lord. And in verse 20, he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. So even in all that, that he sees that the people were doing, knowing that God is going to bring this other nation against them, he still reverences God as he's in his holy temple. Like, what, what can we say? We need to just let him be who he is. So he acknowledges that he knows who God is and he knows that there's nothing that he could do about what God has already stated is going to happen. He recognizes the sovereignty of God. So here we are in the final chapter. We have the prophet asking God about all he was going to do with the Israelites and he's asking him to be merciful. So we're in chapter three, starting with verse two. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So here we see the prophet becoming an intercessor for the people. Because <laughs> after he's already asked the questions and God has already answered, he's like, mm, all right, so this is what's going to happen. So let me at least stand here and say, God, whatever you do, please don't make it as harsh as you could possibly be. Let, don't do it as bad. He knows that the judgment is coming upon the people of Israel and that they deserve it because he's already listed the woes of everyone that he knows are going to be punished, but he's still asking God to show mercy on them. And so as this is how he talks about how God moves through the earth, when we move down in chapter three, starting from verse three, his glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations and the everlasting mountains were shattered. So as we go down to verse nine, your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The flowing of the waters passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. Here he continues to say how God will come through for the salvation of his people and destroyed the enemy. So when he was talking that whole entire time, he's telling of God's glory. 
what he's capable of doing, how he parts the, how the mountains tremble and melt, how he's parted the rivers, how he's divided them over the earth, how the sun and the moon stand still where he placed them, right? And in the end, he's saying, even with all that, God, even of what all you're capable of doing, and we know what you're capable of doing, we know that you still will save us from ourselves and from our enemies. So when we look at the end of chapter three, we too, like the prophet, should feel these things in our heart. And we're going to start with verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may not cut off from the fold, may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. So at the end, he's saying, look, we were bad. He's going to punish us with our enemies, but then he's going to save us. But in the end, overall, God is God alone. And we must have faith and believe in what he says, what he does, and follow everything. He knows everything that he's doing, even when we don't know what he's doing. Because in the end, it's all for his purpose, all for his glory. And that's one thing we should never forget, regardless of the situation we find ourselves in, regardless of how things may look, God is in control and everything happening is all for his glory. Looks like my time is running short, but this is the last Sunday of May and we have to end with our word of the month, temerity, excessive confidence or boldness, audacity. And our promise for the week is going to come from Mark 9, 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. With that, I leave you with have a wonderful, blessed rest of your weekend. Enjoy the sunshine. It's a beautiful day outside. Remember everything that the minor prophets have been telling us. And it's not as drastic in your life, maybe, or maybe it is. But like I said, there's holy and then there's everything underneath, right? So with that, I say have a blessed weekend. Enjoy yourself. Be kind to one another. Be kind to yourself also. And until God brings us together again next week, peace. Searching for high ground, hustling around town to turn their lives around. Fighting a losing battle, living in pain and struggle. Getting caught up in hurdles and puddles, 
But my trust is in Jehovah, my Father and my Maker. Everything that I need, He gave me everything on a platter. Yeah, my trust is in Jehovah, my Father and Creator. You are all that I need, and You are everything in between. Oh, You are all that I require, only for the Father. Anything I need or want, I know I can come to you in prayer. I know you will answer, Father, like no other. Some trust in horses and chariots, but not them, no. Cause my trust is in Jehovah, my Father and my Maker. Everything that I need, He gave me everything on the planet. Yeah, my trust is in Jehovah, my Father. 